Welcome to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Callie O'Connor. I've gone from career burnout to taking multiple career breaks, scoring several remote jobs, and even starting my own business while traveling to over 80 countries. The one thing that held me back from starting sooner was that I didn't believe it was possible for me. I wasn't aware that travel could become part of my lifestyle. Through this podcast, I'm so excited to share with you the travel possibilities that are out there for you. In season three, we're talking all about travel jobs. Let's get started. Welcome back to another awesome interview episode where we will be discussing being a U.S. diplomat slash foreign service officer for the U.S. Department of State. So my guest today is Justine. She's a U.S. diplomat for the U.S. Department of State, like I just said, and has worked as a diplomat for four years. She's currently stationed in Khartoum, Sudan, where she serves as a political slash economic officer working primarily on environment, science, technology, and health-related issues at the U.S. Embassy. She's also served and lived in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. While in college, Justine studied abroad in Brussels, Belgium, and was able to travel to France, Italy, the Netherlands, and the UK during her time in Europe. Fast forward to the height of the pandemic, Justine started documenting and creating content about her travels and life overseas as a way to encourage young people to travel and see the world. So as I mentioned, she's currently stationed in Sudan. If there's any weird Wi-Fi issues, that is why. (laughs) So we can let that go. That is the life of being a traveler. The other thing I wanted to mention in the intro that we forgot to mention in the episode is that while Justine took this job right out of grad school, there are many people who become a foreign service officer as a second or third career. So it's a really cool opportunity for Americans. So here we go. Let me roll the interview. Hello, and welcome back to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I have another awesome guest today talking about travel jobs. So Justine, thank you for being here. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about like my job and what I do. Um, so my name is Justine. I am a U.S. diplomat. Um, and then I'm also a travel content creator at night during my free time. Um, I'm currently posted to my second assignment in Sudan, in Khartoum, um, and I've been here for about a year. Um, Yeah. So good. I'm excited. And like, personally, I'm excited to talk about Sudan because I really want to go there. So we'll get into that. So let's take it back. Can you tell us a bit about what your life was like back in college, what sort of career path you were considering, and how you arrived on becoming a U.S. diplomat? Okay, that's a, it feels like so long ago. Um, So I studied at the University of Rochester um, and I got my bachelor's in international relations. Um, Originally, I wanted to do entertainment law and I uh, interned at a law firm over the summer in New York. And I was just like, yeah, this is not it. This is not for me, Um, you know, I, Although I liked, you know, the aspect of writing and things of that nature, I needed something more and something that would allow me to, you know, that piqued my interest in terms of travel and, you know, being around new cultures, new experiences, people who are a little bit different or also similar to me. 
Um, and so the aspect of being in law just wasn't, it just didn't work. It wasn't a great fit. Um, I ended up finding about this job. My mom actually told me, oh, you should look into being a diplomat and it's a great opportunity. And I didn't know anything of it. And she only knew what she saw online. Um, and so I looked into it. I ended up finding out that there was a fellowship, which I'm sure we'll probably get into a little bit later. Um, but that fellowship basically fast-tracked you into this career of being a diplomat. Um, and so for me, I was just like, yeah, I'm intrigued. This seems like exactly down my alley. Um, there was like a, on the, on the State Department's website, they have a kind of like a career like questionnaire to basically try to see like which cone or area like would be best for you. Um, and so I think for me, it came out that I was either you know, partially public diplomacy, which is one of the cones or partially political. And so ended up applying for the fellowship. I didn't get it the first time around. I made it to being a finalist. Um, at that point, I ended up going into grad school automatically. Um, and a few of the people who I met on the interview day were like, just reapply, reapply, you'll get it. Um, I reapplied and then I got the fellowship. So I ended up doing an additional, I did my, I did. I ended up doing three years in grad school. So that's how I got here today. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It's so cool. So basically your mom told you about this job. You're like, that sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Didn't quite work out the way you wanted to the first time. But so like, let's get into the fellowship and how it fast tracks you and what the application process is like in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are essentially several different ways that you can become a U.S. diplomat uh, and work in the Foreign Service. Um, And one of those ways is this fellowship. So there are a few that are similar to the fellowship that I received. um, But the one that I received is called the Charles B. Rangel Foreign Affairs Fellowship. Um, And it's targeted towards uh, students of color, students of uh, diverse backgrounds, economic statuses, et cetera, uh, who don't often have the opportunity to join in this career. Um, And so it just provides us an opportunity to also get our foot in the door and join the ranks of the Foreign Service. Um, It's a fairly competitive fellowship. Um, I think in my year there were nationwide, there were over 800 applicants and they only choose Wow, it's been so long. It's either 30 or 60, but the number is really small. They, they just upped the numbers uh, in the recent years um, just because they've been getting more funding and things of that nature. So they're able to have more students join in. Um, but usually you apply for the fellowship in your uh, senior year of college. Um, and once you're chosen for the, you're, you're chosen to do an, like what's called an interview day. Um, to the finalist round. And you'll have to do an, pretty much an all day interview um, where you'll have, it's been so long that I've done this. So I don't remember the exact aspects of the interview day, but I remember us doing an interview. Okay. <laughs> uh, and that was like a really, a really long, a really long day. Cause they kind of mimic it to be similar to the oral assessment that you would take um, later on. The other option of joining the Foreign Service is through the traditional way, uh, where you take a written exam, and um, then you have to do what's called a personal narrative questionnaire. And then once you pass that, you'll then go into the, what's called the orals. Um, 
and that's an all day, pretty much an all day interview slash group kind of project assignment, um, and then a written portion. It's a pretty long process. Um, most people, when they go the traditional route, they end up having to take the um, different exams several times before they are finally accepted into the forms. Wow. So it sounds I hope that was clear. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and like the general gist is that it's not easy. It's going to take dedication and commitment. Yeah. And I think that makes sense for the type of role that it is. So, mm-hmm. and has travel always been part of your life or is it something you were interested in maybe later on? Um, it's all, it's something that's always been a part of my life. Like growing up, my family would always try to take like a big trip fairly often, even if it was domestic. Um, and so I was like first exposed, I guess, to travel with on, on, on my family vacations. Um, but I think when I got to college, I knew for sure that I wanted to do study abroad. Um, and I had a number of mentors that had done it as well. And they're like, it's a great opportunity to, you know, be overseas and to, you know, engage with a different culture that's different from you. And so my first opportunity to really be on my own uh, by studying abroad was by studying abroad. I did a study abroad program in Belgium, in Brussels. Um, And not only did I take classes at a local university, but I also interned at the European Parliament. Very cool. So it's all coming together. When you applied successfully for the fellowship, where were you when you found out? Were you excited? Were you nervous? Tell us what was going through your head. Um, so I think I, for me, I was just like one surprised that like I got it um, <laughs> yeah, because it's such a prestigious fellowship. I was actually in grad school at the time. So as I mentioned, I, you know, applied during my, my senior year of college, but I didn't get it. I didn't make it all the way to, I only made it to the I guess finalist round, but I didn't get the actual fellowship. Um, I ended up just going straight into grad school. Um, and so I was in grad school at the time. I don't remember where exactly I was when I found out I got the fellowship, but I was super excited. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was such a great feeling because, you know, the fellowship is such a prestigious opportunity and it provides you a lot of different, um, I guess just additional perks, I guess you can say it's, it's, it's really good. Like you, you'll get, um, stipends during the time that you're in grad school, you receive an internship uh, overseas and an internship domestically on Capitol Hill. So I did my internship in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Um, and then I did my domestic internship uh, with Congressman Don Byer from Virginia. Wow, very cool. That's an awesome opportunity. At what point in the process did you learn where you were going to serve when you became a diplomat or foreign service officer? Yeah. So when you, uh, so after the fellowship uh, concludes, you're at that point, it's, it concludes at the time of your, um, when you finish grad school. Um, and so you immediately go into what's called A100, which is basically a foreign service, you know, officer 101 kind of class. Um, and basically you're there with maybe a hundred other individuals who are also joining the foreign service with you. Um, that course is about six weeks or so, but you find out pretty much on the very last day of the course where you're going. 
you know, so you're, you know, you're, you're nervous, you're, you're researching, you know, different posts, you're meeting with what's called a career development officer. Um, and, you know, you're essentially telling them, you know, all right, well, I want to go here because maybe I have a family and this place has really good schools and that would be really great for me. Or, you know, maybe you're thinking, well, I want to do something in my particular um, cone, uh, whether that's political, public diplomacy, one of those different cones. Um, you know, or you're saying maybe I want to do a language and I want to make sure I have like, you know, get that under my belt first. Uh, so there are a number of different like priorities that people essentially prioritize for themselves. Um, but they give you a list of maybe over a hundred different places and jobs um, that are available for entry-level officers. Most of them are in consular, which is issuing out visas, helping American citizens. Um, and on the very last day is when you get your assignment. So my first assignment was Sao Paulo, Brazil. Wow. And was that in one of your choices or was it? It was my top, it was in my top five, like probably like my number two. Yeah. Perfect. That's amazing. So tell us about Sao Paulo and what your job was there and the type of work you did and what the lifestyle was like. So Sao Paulo was absolutely amazing. This was like my dream post. Um, probably the best two years I've had ever. Um, I was working it, at the consulate um, in Sao Paulo and I was in the consular section. So my main priority or main day-to-day -day job was issuing visas to uh, people that wanted to come to the US to study, to work, to live. Um, and that was pretty much my day-to-day. My um, unfortunately, I, my whole entire tour was impacted by COVID, um, which meant that like everything pretty much shut down. Um, and the U.S. government instituted what was called an authorized departure, which means that you can either choose to stay there or you can leave and go back to the U.S. Um, and do something based in the U.S. Um, for a bit of time until they lift that, um, the authorized departure. And so I ended up going back to the States and I just stayed in New York with my fiance. And yeah, so we, I stayed there. I was working for post, uh, so virtually essentially. Um, and yeah, and then I was there six to seven months and then went back to Brazil, finished the rest of my time there. And that was that. Very cool. And so is there a period of time that they like to keep you in a location before moving on? And how does how do those transitions work? Yeah. So normally when you transition, so you'll find out where your where your next post is around about, I would say, less, a little bit less than a year, but no, at least five months prior, you kind of have an idea of where you're going to be going next. So I found out I was going to be going to Sudan where I am now. Sorry if you hear my dog. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, uh, but you find out about like maybe five to six months or so before you're heading off, like to where you're going next for your next assignment. And so I found out I was going to Sudan, which is where I'm at right now, maybe around May or May or June, I want to say is when I found out. And so you'll essentially finish your tour. You'll do what's called a pack out where movers would literally come and pack up all of your belongings for you and put them on a truck and bring them to wherever your next post is. And then once you're finished with your tour, you usually have what's called home leave, which is mandatory 20 days <laughs> minimum of uh, staying in the United States and reacclimating with America. <laughs> um, 
And it also includes, it does not include the weekends. Um, so if you're like a, you know, a avid traveler like myself, you're like, I, I just want to, you know, use my passport and go somewhere else other than the United States. And you're kind of stuck in the US for that uh, amount of time. Um, depending on where you're going next, you might have additional courses or job training that you may have to take. Um, and usually that's in person at this um, almost like a mini college called the Foreign Service Institute, FSI, located in Virginia. Um, and so you'll go there for however long you need to be there for. Maybe you have a language that you need to learn because your next post might require language. Maybe you are switching to your actual um, cone or assignment, whether that's like political or something of that nature, where you don't have that training already. You'll do that training as well. Um, you'll meet with catch up with friends and family and all the different things to kind of you know, get back to almost like a normal life for people that you don't see often. Um, and then before you know it, you might have another kind of pack out, like if you've accumulated a lot of stuff before heading off to your next assignment. Um, so the movers will come again and pack all that stuff up and then you'll go on to your next assignment. Wow. Yeah. And did you have a say in your next assignment? Was it the same? Did you speak with someone and got to rank them and stuff? Sort of. So this time, I mean, you can speak with your career development officer a little bit to kind of gauge if you have a, you know, just additional questions about different places. Um, but mostly like for your first and second tour assignments, they're directed. So essentially you rank your order of like places you want to go and the powers that be decide where you're going. Um, and so for me, I had maybe a list about, of about 15 or so that I was able to put on my list because you also have to put into factors of like, you know, all right, if I have this much language, will I be able to get to that place on time? There are just different factors that you have to take into account. Um, and so with that, I had to only, I was only able to choose um, places that didn't require me to learn a language beforehand. Um, and so for Sudan, even though they speak Arabic, um, you know, I didn't have to learn a language before coming here. Um, but yeah, so it's pretty much the same, almost some very similar process to the first time around. It's not until you get to become a mid-level officer that you have a little bit more say in where you go. Um, and at that point, and this is the process that I'm actually going through now, so I'm learning it <laughs> uh, right now. So you get, you get me at a great time. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> but for this, pro for the, for your third tour and you know upcoming assignments from there on, you have more, um, more of a say in where you go. So you will see a list of like what positions are available and then you will essentially bid on those positions, which means that you will do an interview possibly for those positions. You'll speak with people who are maybe, who's that person who's maybe in that job currently to get a better sense. Um, you'll have to have references, things of that nature. So it's a little bit more intricate um a little bit more nerve-wracking but yeah very cool opportunity yeah. so can you tell us more about life in Sudan and what's your day-to-day -day like and what is it like living there yeah so Sudan is very different than Brazil uh, I often say that uh you know I, I joke that uh you know they i partied and had too much fun in Brazil and that's why they sent me to Sudan to do some actual work um <laughs> Uh, Sudan is very, very, very busy. Um, I actually got here late. Um, so I was originally supposed to arrive in October, end of October. Um, and then Sudan had a military takeover. 
Um, and so that meant that at that time they put post on like an authorized departure, which meant that people could leave if they chose to. Um, but that also meant that I couldn't come in. And so I had to wait until they lifted the authorized departure before I could arrive. So I arrived at the end of December of 2021. And I mean, I, I think Sudan is very different from what I thought it would be. You know, you hear these stories on the news of, you know, lots of conflict and you know, different things that are going on here. And while that is going on, I think sometimes we're a bit removed from it. Um, those also don't happen like in the capital in Khartoum. So we're very much removed. Um, Khartoum is still under a, um, a military takeover. Um, and so that kind of makes our work a little bit difficult. It makes our work a little bit difficult just because there's just always something going on politically. Um, but here in my role, I mainly focus on everything that's related to environment, science, technology, and health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a really cool opportunity, although I am always pulled into political related stuff as well. But it's a really, really cool uh, job and opportunity because Sudan is at such a unique point where hopefully in the next maybe, you know, before I leave here in, in December, they'll finally transition into some form of a democracy, which will allow whoever's in my position next to really, you know, work on some of the things that are related to this portfolio. Uh, but my day-to-day is, is normally, you know, we'll have meetings with different contacts. Um, you know, sometimes you're tasked with being note taker for the ambassador if he has a particular meeting um, or if there's an event or something that he is unable to attend, you might attend on his behalf. Um, you're constantly writing reports, you know, just to inform Washington of things that are happening on the ground because they're not here and we have a first, you know, firsthand account of what is happening. Sometimes, for example, you might be putting together a proposal or a grant for individuals to come to Sudan. Maybe it's to speak to students or to engage in a particular project. Um, Sometimes you're going to receptions, which are really nice. a lot of times, like anytime there is a uh, embassy's national day, uh, they'll usually have a reception at their either at their embassy or one of their residences. Um, and those are usually a lot of fun because you'll either see people you've known, you know, the entire time that you've been working here or you'll meet new people. There's always food and drinks. Sudan is fairly, it's a large country, but it feels small sometimes because you run into the same people often. I guess like on a, on a weekend, what I would normally do, sometimes we'll do like boat parties on the Nile, on the Nile River, which is really fun. It's sometimes difficult to travel outside of Khartoum because you need to have a travel permit from the government to be able to travel, which can take about two to three weeks or so. Um, but if we're not on the Nile, most of the time people are doing things at their houses. Um, Sudan is a dry country, which means that there is no alcohol. So if you do like to engage in you know, that kind of stuff, you need to find the places that will will have it. And usually that's the diplomatic missions. Mm-hmm. Um, so we often hang out quite a bit with one another. Right now, December and January are the month of weddings. So everyone is, a lot of the, um, you know, any Sudanese that are living overseas, they usually come back to Sudan during this time frame. So it's really great because you'll see people we haven't seen in a while. And everyone is at these weddings. Like these weddings are like the most elaborate 
you know, week-long events I've ever, yeah, week-long. So like for the women, they'll have like a, a henna party, which is, you know, where everyone's getting henna. Um, they'll usually have a bridal dance, which is where the bride does a special dance and only women can go to that um, event. They'll have the actual ceremony, which is usually really, really big. Sometimes I'll have famous Sudanese singers come. Um, yeah, so December is a, a fun month. Yeah, and then when the weather's warmer, because uh, right now it's a bit chilly, uh, it's their winter. Um, when the, the weather's a bit warmer, at least my friends and I would like to throw pool parties and just do different things that are outside. Amazing. It sounds like such a unique opportunity to really take in the culture. You're like, oh, we just have boat parties on the Nile. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's ever been mentioned on this podcast before. So <laughs> very cool. And then with regards to the travel permit, if you wanted to travel outside, is it just because you're based in Sudan or is that a rule regardless of where you're based? It's a rule just because I'm in Sudan. Got it. Um, and I think for most of the, all of the diplomatic missions have to do the same thing where they have to get a travel permit to travel outside. Um, it's sometimes a pain, but you have to follow the rules that are of that country, so. Makes total sense. But I have been able to travel like outside of Khartoum, which has been really, really nice. Um, yeah. Like, can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm like very personally interested. <laughs> I, like there are more pyramids than in Egypt, right? Yes. So there are, that's what they say. There are more pyramids, but they're a lot smaller than the ones that are in Egypt. So if you've ever been to Egypt, they're huge. I haven't been yet. It's on my list. Um, but in Sudan, there, I think there, so it depends on where you go in Sudan, where you're looking at them, because some of them are a lot more run down than others. Um, and I think that that just has to do with, you know, taking care of the, you know, monuments and things of that nature. And that's been kind of, I guess, lacking for a bit of time. Um, but yeah, like the pyramids are really, really nice. I, at least like when my family came, uh, they visited me here in Sudan, which was really a really good time. And they absolutely loved it. Uh, we visited the pyramids that are in Karima, which is in like the Northern part of, um, of the country. Uh, and we stayed, we used this company called the Italian Tour Tour Company. So we stayed in there. They have these guest houses, which are really, really cute, like boutique hotels. Um, not as fancy as like your, your Marriott or, or Hilton or something, but they're, they're nice and they're decent, um, and clean. <laughs> um, yeah, so we did that. And there's also this mountain. I don't remember the name of the mountain, but we got to hike up the mountain and you could overlook and see, you know, the palm trees, like the date palm trees. You could see some of the pyramids that were below. Um, there was like a little bit of like a ruins um, that was down there. So it was a really, really nice. Very cool. That sounds awesome. And as you're preparing kind of for your next location, do you have somewhere that would be like, wow, this is number one. I hope I get to go there. I have quite a few places um, and for different reasons. <laughs> um, so I would love to go to like Ho Chi Minh City in mm. Vietnam. Um, I actually got to visit there for a weekend uh, when I was stationed in Malaysia because uh, I had a friend that was doing his internship there. Um, and I had the absolute best time and the best food. And I was like, I love it here. I could see myself here. 
Um, and then you're just in such a great unique place because you're, you can travel easily to different parts of Southeast Asia. Um, if I wanted to make more money, I would go to Islamabad, uh, oh. Pakistan. Um, but I've also heard it's really beautiful there as well. Um, and then if they, you know, if they ever needed me back in Brazil, I'd be on the next plane <laughs> back immediately. My bags are already packed and so are my dogs. <laughs> That's amazing. So your dogs can travel with you? Yes. So most people bring their pets. Um, my dog's a really small dog. I'll show you how this is. <laughs> oh, Hi. Hi, he makes a lot of noise for such a small one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, she travels with me everywhere. She was with me in Brazil. Um, and then now she's here. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so what do you, what has been the most challenging part of having this job and what has been the most rewarding part for you? I think there are a lot of challenges with this job, a ton. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is being away from family and friends. You know, often, often you're able to make a lot of friends here, but it's very different than your friends that you maybe grew up with or went to grad school or college with. And so just not being able to see them or missing just life events, whether that's like weddings or birthdays or just different life events that you may miss. That's often fairly difficult for me. I think something that's like the most rewarding, I'd have to say is being able to make those new friends and kind of building those relationships because those are also very long lasting. So the friends that I've made in Brazil, you know, we still talk, um, they make fun of my Portuguese because, you know, it's non-existent now because I haven't <laughs> spoken it in so long. But, you know, I think that that's like the, one of the most rewarding parts is, you know, just being able to live somewhere new you know, every two to three years and, you know, meet people who are equally like bond friends. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing opportunity. So if somebody wanted to get into this line of work, what would you recommend in terms of like maybe in the application process and like what they need to know to mentally prepare to mm -hmm. live out in the world? Yeah, I, I think one thing is definitely making sure that like, you know that you'll be able to do this because living overseas is not... It's not the easiest. And I'm sure you've talked about that quite a bit, like on your podcast and in the other episodes. Um, and it, it can get lonely sometimes, you know, like if you're, you know, here alone and you're a single person, you might feel very lonely because you don't have a, a, a spouse or maybe a child or, you know, maybe even a pet to really be her with and, and share those different moments. Um, and oftentimes it's just very, very busy work-wise. So, you know, knowing to have that, work-life balance is equally important. I'd also say like, and another important thing is to know that you'll be able, that you'll have to represent the US government. Um, and that's a really, really big factor that a lot of times, you know, I've seen a lot of new officers who are finding it difficult to say, all right, well, I'm going to, I know I'm gonna be able to support this particular policy that may come up and you know, knowing when and how to disagree with something that is a, like a particular policy that the government might put. And so that's like one of the biggest things. I'd also tell people, you know, if you're looking into this career, definitely check out the State Department's website. If you go to state.gov, you'll literally find all the information you need to know. Um, there are tons of Reddit posts if people still use Reddit. Um, 
you know, that you can find a lot of information about. Um, I'd also direct them to some of my other friends uh, who are on social media and talk about, you know, this lifestyle of work. Um, and maybe I don't know if you want to put it like maybe in the comments, but I can send it to you later. Yeah, you know send it to me and I'll include those in the show notes yeah, for sure. I don't know their handles uh, off the top of my head. <laughs> but at least uh, two of my friends, you know, one specifically talks about life as a diplomat and another one talks about just her travels. Um, she was stationed in uh, Ethiopia first and then now she's in Argentina. So Awesome. Very cool. And you also are documenting your journey online and creating content. Can you tell us a bit about that as well and where we can find you? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on TikTok and on Instagram at you adore munchkin. Um, I'm sure you'll type it out. because Yes, I'm going to link it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you can find me there. I am documenting my time as much as I possibly can because my life just gets very, very busy, um, especially with work. Um, but yeah, like I started this pretty much during the pandemic. Um, I was originally focusing on totally different uh, content. It was mostly on like natural hair and beauty kind of tips. Um, and then I realized I don't really like having to do my hair on camera. And so I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And it was just too much work. And so, you know, I also was putting out quite a bit of um, documenting a little bit of my time in Brazil. Um, and people are like, we like this more. We like this more. So that's kind of the direction that I I've taken it. But yeah, that's usually what I'm doing in my spare time when I get it. Um, it's trying to be as consistent as possible. But yeah. <laughs> Which is even a challenge for people without full-time jobs. So yeah, <laughs> that's so awesome. And I just thank you for sharing all of this. I think it's fascinating. I think it's such a cool opportunity for Americans that to really get out and explore some new places and work abroad. And yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of the most rewarding careers that I've ever had and obviously I haven't had too many because I'm just starting but you know it, it is one of the like most rewarding opportunities it's not a lifestyle that's like very easy but it's it's definitely well worth it and it gives you the opportunity to do a lot of traveling on the weekend so <laughs> amazing well Justine thank you so much for your time and for being here and everyone else I will catch you on the next episode wait before you go if you are here because you are exploring your travel options, I am excited to share with you that I've just revamped my free offerings to help you on your journey. Whether you need help budgeting for a career break, saving money for a trip, or learning how to effectively apply for a remote job, I've got you. Visit the link in the show notes or go directly to www.travelshifters.com freebies to download what you need. And don't hesitate to let me know what you think. Thank you for tuning in to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would be so thankful for your positive review on Apple Podcasts so I can keep the episodes coming. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra tips and travel inspiration on Instagram by following me at The Travel Shifters or by visiting my website at travelshifters.com. Thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.